I was gonna tell you about that. Are you judging Pakistan's next top model or something? <laughs> Seriously, no. who are these women? Okay, um, you know how we have arranged marriage in my culture? These are those women. You've met these women? Just with my parents and stuff. We haven't like... But you're not serious about this, are you? It's my mom's thing. I just go along with it. My tata will talk to the rabbi. They will decide for me. How many children? Five. No, I want eight. Eight? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Don't your parents want you to marry a nice Indian girl? I don't care what they want. This is what I want. Today's guest is someone who is family in all senses of the word. We thought it would be great to get some insight on marital unions how they differed generationally and culturally. Our guest, Tina Khan, describes her unconventional journey into marriage and shares how love is nurtured in her life. A woman of great sage and sass, I must say. Shah Jahan, care to explain further? Yes, uh, this is my illustrious... Why shouldn't you say my mother? She is... Uh, how would you introduce yourself, Amma? Since I've come to this country, my best introduction of myself has always been that I'm Tina Khan, and I'm a Muslim, and I'm from Pakistan. Yes. And that's my best introduction. Okay, and you have a master's in political science. Yep. You are uh, a manager of, you've been a manager of several clothing stores where I still go for clothing discounts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah, this is my mom. So yep. hi, Emma. Hi. We just took the subway here, didn't we? <laughs> How was the subway ride? It was fun, actually, because the reason it was more fun this time was because he was with me. <laughs> I have done uh, New York subway alone and being so stressed that I'll get off at the wrong station or I'll get lost. So this was not at all stressful. You know what? I haven't taken subway even once. And I've been living in, in New, New York, York for a decade. Yes. I feel crazy. comfortable in subways because when I came to this country, when my husband was a student at MIT, we didn't have a car and we didn't need a car. So everything, everywhere we went was in the subway yes. over there. So that's why I feel comfortable. And I have friends like you who have never been in the subway, lived in Boston for like 50 years, never been in a subway. But I feel comfortable in Boston because we don't have uh, the subway. is not that complicated. Over there. <laughs> I know New York is a little like scary. Yeah. yeah. And I used to ride subway in Boston. Oh, yeah. Um, That's oh, how yeah, we spent something. time in Boston. Too, oh, you yeah. did? Yeah. 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 On MIT campus, just yeah. like you, Tina. I lived oh, three I years all on... these similarities. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. By the way, Tina went to Canade College. I went to Canade College. Yeah. There are so many similarities. Maybe in different ages. <laughs> yeah. I was there in the Stone Ages. My time is also almost... Stone Age. Ish. Ish. Yeah, mine doesn't have the ish in there. It's just Stone Age. So I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you here today. Because A, I am obsessed with you. Uh, I don't know if Shah Jahan told you that. And I'm also so curious 
to see, you know, mother-son dynamic. Hopefully, you'll tell us some interesting, juicy, embarrassing stories about Shah Jahan. Oh, yeah. I certainly will. But uh, if you want all of them, I'll need a couple of days. <laughs> In this hour, I'll do a few. <laughs> I think this time around, Shah Jahan, you yeah. should ask the first question. Okay. Okay, Amma. Yes, Peter. Uh, which is what I call you. Yep. How did you meet your husband, a.k.a. my father, a.k.a. Aga? You know everything, so I'll say it for the sake of saying it again, <laughs> that uh, we had an arranged marriage. I was doing my master's in Lahore at Punjab University in political science, and your dad, Aga, was doing his PhD and master's at MIT in computer sciences and electrical engineering. We had never met. We had never seen each other. His mother came to Lahore looking for a bride for her, her son. And she came to my parents' house. And actually, the first day she came to our house, I was the one who opened the door for her. And my mom was so shocked. She said, you didn't have any makeup on. You didn't have any good clothes on. Why did you open the door? It was middle of the afternoon. And everybody takes a nap in Lahore when it's very hot in the middle of the afternoon. And I hated naps. So I was the only one who would be running around the house doing crazy things. I loved wearing my mother's hararas in the middle of the afternoon and running around with her high heel shoes. So I was up. She rang the bell and I opened the door. The servants were also sleeping because it was the middle of the afternoon. And she asked me, are your parents home? And I said, yes. And because I was the only daughter left in the house who was to be married, the moment I told my mom that there are two ladies who came in looking for you, she knew that, oh my God, it's a rishta thing. So she said, you open the door. And I said, yes, they're sitting in the living room so you can go and see them. So she said, don't come in again. So that's how the whole thing started. At that age, yeah. were you resistant to the idea of arranged marriage? Did you have any ideas of how you wanted to pursue relationship at all? The thing is that uh, although I belonged to a well-educated family, my father was a lawyer. Both my grandfathers were lawyers. Uh, all of us went to college. I actually went to a co-ed university, Punjab University. And we weren't very conservative, if you can call it quote-unquote conservative, in this sense that we weren't allowed to see boys or anything. But I always had given this thought that my parents are the right judges to find somebody for me because... If I compare the parents of today, I think the kids don't have that much confidence in the parents and the parents also don't understand the kids. But I just knew that my two other sisters had also had quote-unquote uh, arranged marriages, but they were people that they had seen each other because one was relative, one was uh, first cousin, the other was a distant relative. So they had seen each other, they had met each other. It wasn't as shocking of a thing as I had to go through. But I didn't have any... Uh, like when I went to college, I uh, can't say that there were boys who did approach me. and uh, But I never... I don't believe it. How did you handle that? I'll tell you a very, very funny story. Two actually funny stories. <laughs> and I hope the people who did this were, are not listening to it after so many years. I had this one class fellow at Punjab University. It was a strange kind of a time because we were three girls who were from Canada. And we were English medium. The rest of the class was all Urdu medium. First, we had lectures in English and we felt very comfortable. But there were others who were resisting that the lectures should be in Urdu. And I was like, I can't, I don't even know the word political science in Urdu to tell you the truth, mm. even up till now. So uh, these other boys who I had never talked to and I shouldn't say, but I just didn't feel 
like even talking to them. One of them, one day, <laughs> I was going towards my car. I actually went in the Punjab University bus because the blue bus used to come to my house. So he hands me an envelope while I'm walking towards the bus. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was. That's so gutsy, I, though. I yeah. And I had never talked to the guy ever. So I put it in my bag and I came home and I was like, let me go inside and see what is this thing that he gave me. So I opened up the envelope and there's a long love letter in there. What? Oh my and God. he had written things which I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Things like not uh, disgusting things, but like from day one when you entered the university, I've been in love with you. And <laughs> if what? I don't get married to you on your day of wedding, I'm yeah, that was when my uh, engagement was about to happen. And he said that on the wedding day, my dead body will be in front of your oh house. And I swear, Do I you was still like, have this letter. No, yeah, That's it. intense. But listen to the next. I looked at it, I read it, and I was so shocked. I went to my mom and I said, Listen, <laughs> because me. I was so scared that if I keep it to myself I don't know it's not a good thing so I went to my mom and I said you know what a guy in my class has given me this and you can read it I have never even talked to him I have never like even he has never approached me he has never talked to me but this is what he's written and my mom was like just throw away the letter and forget about it and this and this I wonder if your mind wandered to some other place and you were interested. Were you if he would curious? have been a nice looking guy, maybe. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but he was somebody I had never looked at him. Huh. I'm telling you that it was like, it's because I was like a grown up person. I wasn't a kid. I understood what the story was, but I never even like gave it a second thought. Huh. And uh, so this was my first thing. So physical appearance matters. It does matter a little, but ah. I'll tell you in what sense. Then I was on the verge of getting engaged, and one day some people had come in the in the living room again, and my mother comes to me and she says, "Tina, I need to talk to you." And I said, "What's going on?" And she said, "You know who's in the living room?" I said who's in the living room and she said one of your professor's mom and sister they are in the living room and they have come here because your professor wants to marry you and I said what and my mother was suspicious and she said what's going on and I told her I swear upon God Ammi there is nothing going on between the professor and me I am a good student and he has always said good things about me in the class because I was a nerd and I topped in my fifth year in masters and he always used to and he was he had actually studied over here at Jumas Amherst so he was very impressed with my English and she said that uh, they said that uh, he did, he has never approached you he has never said anything because he wanted to respect you in this sense but now that they found out that you are about to be engaged he has sent this proposal and my mom said what do you want to do? Tina, I want to stop you here yes. and I just want to understand how come everybody knew that you were getting engaged or something was going on? I'll tell you why. The reason why everybody knew was I had this best friend who was with me at the university hmm. and she was a loud mouth. Ah. She's still my best friend, but she would like say everything out there. And then this guy, my professor, he had actually another link that his sister was a renter of my khala or something. So they were in contact. And so this happens. And then my mom asked me, and I said, to tell you the truth, mom, I have never thought about it. And 
I do not. And th- these were the words I used. I said, I do not want to be labeled as somebody who went to the university just to get married. And I said, no, there's no way that this should be done. Just let get me engaged to the guy that you have found for me. And that's fine with me. Had you seen no. your to-be husband's <laughs> picture? Nope, not till then. No, at the time of engagement, I had seen yeah. a picture. And what was your first reaction? Nothing because... The, what era of your yes, husband's life was this picture I from? I was going to tell you that my husband was doing his PhD at MIT. Right. The picture that I had seen was when he was in high school. Oh. <laughs> okay. So there was this, no this. connection this a, between that picture yeah. and what he was when I saw him. Ah. But the thing is that the reason why I'm saying is that looks do matter in the long run. If I would have been looking for somebody, looks would have mattered. But if I had given that option to my parents, it didn't matter because what my dad said was the engineering university where my husband had been in Pakistan, he had come on scholarship. And my dad was a friend of the vice chancellor of the university. So that was the only place he went to when the proposal came. Mm -hmm. And the vice chancellor, what he said was that he's a very good guy. And if the proposal would have come for my daughter, I would have said yes. Mm -hmm. So that was the only thing my dad said, that that's what my friend has said. That's what his vice chancellor has said. And I had no problem with that. So what he looked like at that point, even when he came for the wedding, one week before the wedding, my cousins and my family, they were saying, he's in the living room. Why don't you come and have a look? And I, at that time, I just said, even if I look at him and I don't like him, you guys are going to still, the wedding is going to happen in a week. So what's the big deal? I don't need to see him. Hmm. take a step back and I want us to define arranged marriage because I feel like for our Western listeners they don't even have the context like they don't have the normative framework so Mm. Shah Jahan do you want to go first? Yeah sure I mean in the whole like I think like you're describing this is just the way it was like it wasn't some abnormal this is what I have been this was the norm For all these years that I have been explaining arranged marriage to my people over here in America is that for us, it's not something that all of a sudden is put on us and say that, okay, you're going to have an arranged marriage. It's something that you grow up with. It's something that the culture is all around you. And one of my brothers had a love marriage, actually two of my brothers, my older brother and Zahid. So it's not something that's alien to our brain. It's something that you grow up with. And I had never questioned it. Although now when I find out, (laughs) to tell you the truth, I've learned more about my religion in America than what I did in Pakistan, is that actually that's not the Islamic way to do it. Hmm. The Islamic way is this, that you should be able to see the guy and talk to the guy in like when there's a chaperone around, not the way of dating that's done over here, but a little bit of knowing each other is allowed in Islam. But in Pakistan or in other countries also, what I have seen is that the line that you draw between culture and religion is nowhere to be seen. People themselves do not know what they are doing, whether they are doing it following their religion or they are doing it following their culture. The way I see arranged marriage is the idea of introduction, right? In Pakistani culture, in South Asian culture, the introduction comes from your parents. That's one. 
but you have the option to decline. Yes. Contrary to what people in the West may think, because sometimes arranged marriage in the US and Western societies is conflated with forced marriages. Yes. And not to discount what's happening yeah. within that space, millions of people are getting married through arranged marriage and it involves their consent. Yes. And they get to talk to the person that they are considering to be married to, right? The thing is, we can't deny the fact that there are forced marriages being done in the world. Yeah. And in Pakistan also. But what we need to understand is that that forcing that is done is depends on what part of the cultural background you are looking at. For example, if you go to a faraway village in Pakistan, for a girl to go and meet the guy who... There is no social gathering as such where boys and girls can meet or where even the parents can introduce the boys to the girls. So that is something that you need to understand that it's somehow not even quote unquote forced. That's how the, that's the only way they know to do. That's the norm. It. And yeah. as you said, it's still not forced. Yes. Forced is a complete it has a completely different yeah. connotation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a really important distinction. Yeah, definitely. but all the time it's not like this that the parents put the girl on gunpoint and say that, okay, you need to marry, marry this guy or not. That was not what I had or that was not what 90% of the arranged marriages are. There are people like me who don't question their parents. Do you remember the first conversation you and Aga ever had? Yeah, I do remember. <laughs> what, what was it like? It was strange. Okay. Because uh, it was just like, for example, if you are dating for the first time mm-hmm. and you introduce yourself, I have to say that, I don't know, I didn't marry anybody else besides your dad, so I don't know how <laughs> other, other people do it. But I have to say that your dad was a very understanding person in this way that he understood that the relationship has to start from introduction. And it goes from there. You, the real sense of the marriage didn't occur till like probably a few months after the wedding when we actually knew each other a little bit. But I have to add this, that knowing each other doesn't stop at any time. Even after 42 years of being together, I cannot say that I know my husband 100%. So that's why I feel that what people call love marriage is rather infatuation. It can happen because you like the looks. It can happen because the guy or the woman is rich or you like the way they live life. But the real life doesn't come to happen. Just living together also doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. You have to first make the commitment. I think in a marriage, the commitment is the most important thing. And the commitment can start after getting married or even before getting married. But the commitment has to always stay there as the most important thing. And I just tell all my friends that the only way it can happen is that after you make the commitment, you have to stop looking around. Because there'll always be somebody better than the one that you got. There's always somebody more beautiful than the one that you got. There's always somebody richer than the one that you got. So unless and until to stick to your commitment, especially when the children have also entered the marriage, not even the children part, but you have to stop and say that, okay, 
I am not 100% perfect so how can I expect that the other person will be 100% perfect I have flaws and I should expect that the other person will have flaws we grew up in different houses we grew up in different environments we'll come up with different ideas so it's not necessary that everything will be smooth sailing mm. there will be ups and downs as long as you stick to your commitment part the ups will be more than the downs so when you guys first or when you joined yeah this guy who didn't look like what he looked like in his yeah. high school picture yeah. um what did you notice uh in the US in terms of people's approaches to like love and relationships was there you know big glaring differences how did you make sense of them and relate with them when you're I'm, you were living in the senior house at MIT. Yes, you know, the thing like, is that uh, it has still been the same for all these years because whenever I tell somebody, just like my own class, uh, I, I went to college, Grenade College, you know, and we have an old students uh, association over here. That day, I'm on the board of directors of it, so we were having a, a Zoom meeting for the next meeting, and I just mentioned to the girls, I call them girls, women, in the thing that uh, I had an arranged marriage, and my own. people from college were like shocked tina you had an arranged marriage i said yes he said oh my god oh my god how did you do it so in this society i have been explaining it to people and people's eyes have been bulging out and i am so used to the bulging out eyes that you agreed to marry somebody you had never seen how did you do that how did you do that so the shocking part is always there and i have always explained it like this that i had confidence that my parents will find me a guy because the thing is that when your parents look for somebody for you a few things which are important are that you have the same kind of a background you have at least same cultural values and if both the things are there then the chances not that they will not happen the chances are that life will be a little bit easier Do you think arranged marriages are more practical and in a way transactional than love marriages and maybe that's why they last longer at least in Pakistan because you don't have the kind of expectations you would have going into a love marriage The way I look at it is that mostly everybody over here has a love marriage if you look at all the celebrities and everybody they fall in love and within a year they are ready to get rid of each other so love is not the only thing so love is not enough it's not enough and it's not the only thing commitment is the most important thing that's always been my thing that if you stick to your commitment part then even if there's no love it will come someday but tina in this era of you know social media and smartphones it gives this illusion of infinite opportunities right so that's the problem right a million times yeah how do people settle on one person and what does that look like do you think the idea of marriage relationship commitment has evolved and is changing because of our circumstances because of what the environment has become No I agree that things have changed and I agree that people's way of thinking has changed and the concept of marriage slowly is actually phasing out of the lives of people they just don't feel that there is any need to get married because you can live together and then you can just say that okay I don't like you anymore I'll find somebody else so then is there an end to it how many people are you going to try <laughs> just tell me in a lifetime how many once every week another one so <laughs> 
there there are so many opportunities there are so many yeah. different kinds of humans how yeah. many of them are you going to try and then where are you going to find a common denominator mm. where you'll say okay this one is better than the 129 mm. that i already had grass is always greener yeah it's always greener well. on the other side because uh, if you stop looking at the grass and just look at your own grass <laughs> even if it's brown it's okay some day it will get green so that's my way of looking at things that stop looking at the neighbor's grass yeah but having doubts is natural human response yeah. to yeah, a lot so of I, things yeah so what right? i'm saying is it's always not smooth sailing there are so many times you think i have a very smooth life with my husband we disagree on 50 million things but then there are 50 million that we agree on so you have to find the agreed things looking better than the non agreed things as long as for god forbid if there's violence involved or if there's something which is like you cannot take it then i understand <laughs> marriage is a complicated thing yeah and arranged or love or whatever but then some people say that marriage is a gamble i don't agree with that because the thing is in order to gamble you It's have hard to, work not only hard work yeah. you have to be a gambler and you have to be ready to gamble a couple of times and i don't agree with that shahjahan as you're listening to your mom mm-hmm. talk about all of this what is going through your mind because you grew up here right yeah. so for you the idea of arranged marriage or leaving it to your parents to decide i was thinking it's probably and I'm probably going to regret saying this it's probably time for you to tell some of the hilarious I was going to do that anyway when Shah Jahan was like about 7 8 years ago, uh, old one day he came to me and said amma how am i ever going to find a wife and i just said don't even worry i'll find you one <laughs> but this was when you were a kid later on when he grew up and he was in college and all you know how desi aunties are they would shah jahan now that you are in college should we start looking for a girl and then he said aunty i am perfectly capable of doing it myself wow so yeah that's what I you said, said to a couple of aunties really? okay. oh yeah I you mean, said that aunty i'm perfectly capable of doing it myself so how did the aunties take it the aunties were shocked as hell because the thing is that none of their <laughs> sons would have ever said that so he was always different from everybody else yeah. and i love his being different from everybody else because that's how he is and that's what he is i was also curious in terms of how you've seen the relationships of your children play out all three of whom are now married you mm-hmm. know one of whom has kids like yeah where just what are the things that you've observed and you know what would you comment on as far as like the paths that me and my two sisters have taken yeah the thing is that i have no problem i always said that the kids have grown up over here the kids were born and raised over here we have brought them in a certain way but the thing is this is not pakistan from 40 years ago this is not quetta where my husband is from 40 years ago we have brought them in this world they already have so many issues that they have to face which we didn't face as going to college going to school being brown amongst white people so they already have enough headaches on their head and enough stress to put this in their head that now you're not going to marry you because for them black or white or green is doesn't make a difference for them humanity human and for me also being a muslim doesn't make you a better human right being a christian doesn't make you a bad human being white doesn't make you a bad person the thing is that being 
of the same way of thinking is what matters. If you have the click with somebody and you think that you can live with this person, you can ask my kid, he's standing right in front of me. I never said, when he was little, maybe I must have said it like in the masjid or somewhere that don't even think. But I, we never like... I was when, thinking of the first time a girl called the house. Oh, that was sixth grade. Yeah, that was, was like grade. a little yeah. bad thing. So what happened then? <laughs> I heard him talking to a girl on the phone. And oh my God, I was like, there he goes. And it's a white girl. And oh, <laughs> oh my God, go. what am I going? So the moment I he st- put the phone down, that was the only time in my life oh, yeah. I <laughs> slapped him with my full force. Yes, she did. And oh, I swear. Wow. And I still regret. I don't regret it in the real sense of the word, but that is what came out of me. Yeah. All of a sudden. So it a visceral was, reaction. Yeah, right. it was like... like yeah. Uh, my mother would have done that to me. Yeah, but my, my mother da- would have done that no, to no, me. No, no, my dad would have never done that to me because what happened was, this was the third story from my col- uh, university days. There was another guy in my class. And, oh, Tina. And he was also one of the English medium guy. He was a nice guy. And I don't know from where he took my phone number. I have no idea. I never gave my phone number to anybody. I used to talk to him because he was a decent guy. So one day my dad comes to me and says, Tina, there's a phone call for you. I think it's one of your class fellows. And I had never gotten a call from a class fellow, a guy. So I picked up the phone and I said, I won't take his name. The poor guy has passed away now. I said, why did you call me? And where did you get my phone number from? And if it would have been my mother, she would have never allowed me to come to the phone. Thank God it was daddy and daddy had said, but don't ever do this that call me at home because I don't have that kind of a relationship with you and I don't want whatever you need. No, I just wanted to find out about some notes. I said, I was at the university today. You could have asked me over there. So I stopped it right then and there that he doesn't get the thing that he would start calling me and all that. Yeah, so it didn't matter to me when these guys were in school, like when I had their birthdays, I would call girls over and have a birthday for Shah Jahan with his class fellows. The same with the girls. Uh, My little one, they had this group of about eight or ten kids and every weekend there was some program on TV that they liked to watch and I always used to say instead of you staying at one till one o'clock at somebody else's house, tell all of them to come to my house. So my dad and I used to go upstairs and they would be in the TV room running around and watching TV and eating food from my fridge. The guy that he, she got married to was one of them and he still says, Andrea still says that, you know, I I remember eating food, Pakistani food in your fridge. But I had no issue with that because, and then when they came with this thing, Noor Jahan is still shocked with this thing that you guys never made a big fuss when I told you that I want to marry Andreas. I was so scared. I was so scared. And the same with Shah Jahan. We yeah. didn't create any issue, yeah. which I think is the right thing I th- to well, do. Well, I think the only issue that I remember was the religiosity or non-religiosity of the wedding itself. Yes. So whether to do a nikah and stuff. And another thing, once I remember a long time ago, I don't know whether you remember or not, one thing I said was that uh, if you get married to somebody from here and you want to take them to Pakistan and they just say that, oh my God, your country is a dirty country and things are so messed up, you're going to feel bad. So that was the only thing. You remember I yeah. said this. And I and thank God Lauren went to Pakistan and she loved everything and we had a good time. So these were the little, little things which I thought would hurt them in the long run. But I had no issue with them getting married to whoever they wanted. What about that date that you caught me on hmm? at Solomon Pond Mall? 
<laughs> I wanted because I've told that story on this podcast from my yeah. perspective. I just wanted to hear what you remember about it. The thing is that I was mentally prepared for those things. So in my head, I was like, I can try to be like other aunties and pretend that we are actually all of us are in the same boat. But half of the, around 90% of the aunties, my own friends, they think that they are in a separate boat and I am in a separate boat. What do you mean by that? By that is that I would, like once I remember when the kids were little, I had this one friend and we were sitting somewhere and we were talking about what the future is going to be like for our kids. And uh, I just made this statement not knowing what the consequences of it were. I said, you know what, we have to be realistic. I can see that maybe my family picture is going to look like this, that my son will get married to, I don't know why I said a Chinese girl, and my one daughter will marry somebody maybe black, and I said my other daughter will marry somebody from here, but I am ready for that family picture. I said this, and oh my God, that auntie, my friend, got so mad at me. She said, Tina, I think you have become too Americanized and one should not even think like that because if you think like that, it will happen like that. Who is this auntie? Let's send her I some I won't tell her the name. Okay. I yeah. will tell we you. Should. We'll, we'll yeah. talk about it afterwards. Yes, Listeners. Yes. But then that auntie's half of her kids got married to white people. <laughs> so Zing. what I said is that we have to be realistic. Yeah. We have to understand that we, the kids didn't ask us to be born over here. We brought them over here. We brought them into this world. We brought them into this kind of stress, especially after you know how Muslims are. Whether they are practicing Muslims, not that's not the point. But the poor guy is brown, you can see. And when he was in first grade, he came back home. I Maybe I've told this story to 50 million people. He, came, he was the only brown kid in the school where he used to go. So he came back and he said that, Amma, can you wash my hands with some soap so that they become white? And mm. it made me sad, but then I made it into a joke. And I said, you know what, Shah Jahan? That soap has not yet been invented, <laughs> which is going to make your hands white. So we have to learn to live with these brown hands. Yeah, you, You're but, also cleverly evading the question that I asked, which was, please tell the story of when you caught me on the yeah. date. My first, one of my first dates, uh-huh. I had very nervously asked yeah. out this girl that I actually technically went to preschool with. Her name was Katie Scott. And we all ended up at the Solomon Pond yes. movie theater. Mm. And the first thing that happened is I turned around and my sister, Mariam, was sitting there with all of her friends on this date that was supposed to be Be my date. I don't remember what the movie was or anything. And then whatever. And after the movie was over, we all walked out. I was holding Katie's hand. And the first person I saw was Tina Khan. I had gone there with my friends. And the thing is that although I knew in my heart that... What were your initial thoughts when you saw Shah I was Jahan. like, oh, my God, he has gone off the track. <laughs> and whatever I told him, he has not so, listened so to it. So deep down, you still wished and hoped I didn't that wish he would that... be on some kind of a track, right? Or no, that I just... the track was not that I didn't want to see him even with a brown girl. I just wanted, didn't oh, want to see him with a girlfriend. This oh. is what that I was, I didn't confirm. have the okay. issue that she was white or brown no, 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 or no, green. Yeah. It was even if it was a Pakistani girl that I was like, that is what happened. How old were you, Shah Jahan? 16, I was 16 years old. Yeah. The thing that I just pray for is they should be happy and satisfied. That's it. Nothing else. Tina, outside social-cultural distinctions, what are key components to a successful 
romantic relationship one of my friends husband once said that uh, the thing is that for a woman her life is divided between i think two sections first is after the marriage the kids are there and you just do things for the kids and you talk to the husband just about the kids whatever is going on some of some of the problems you don't even discuss with the husband because they are so bad <laughs> so once the kids are gone because the thing is as long as the kids are growing up you are going to be so busy with their life that there's not much else that romance is nowhere to be seen slowly and slowly i think what worked for me i'll just give my example is that you have to develop some kind of common things that you like doing together so what do you Which like are, doing together first of all i was not at all that much interested in doing things for the masjid but uh, when my kids were at the masjid i started going with them and slowly and slowly i got involved in the masjid and i became the sunday school principal and i was on the board of directors and i did all those things and my husband started doing stuff for me because i'm bad at computers so he would do all my data entry and all that and then he got involved in the masjid and that was a big thing that kept us together and there are many interfaith organizations that he and i both are very much interested in so we joined many organizations when we do that together the only thing that we have never been able to agree on is which movie should we watch yeah. because he likes funny movies because he thinks life in itself is a little strange so just go to the movies to get entertained mm. i like romantic and crazy movies so we can never decide which movie to watch but what brought us together lately for the last few years is pakistani dramas now what we do every day every every day. night is we watch pakistani dramas two or three at a time you have to have some commonality of purpose or something that you enjoy together that keeps you together yeah i agree some 100%. things which you can enjoy with each other Absolutely. which like i said in the beginning it wasn't the same stuff but over the years we realized what we enjoy together yeah Our no you're grandchildren, right for... oh my god i just said to my daughter who has two kids that i wish we could have had the grandchildren before we had the real children <laughs> and she said amma this is insulting this is insulting but Oh my god I never thought I was the grandmotherly kind but since I've seen my grandchildren oh my god they've driven me crazy <laughs> so now that's the common thing when I come home my husband says did you talk to the children today and then sending all the pictures to all of us mm. yeah. like five six different times in five six different groups I know yeah. you have this like whatsapp group we have five or six different yeah. ones uh-huh, yeah. different different uh, yeah. I agree with that what what Amma just said like that's for us it was music I think uh-huh. very very quickly for Lauren and I and then that evolved into all sorts Haan. of other stuff so Haan, cookie, yeah. unless and until you have something that you enjoy both of you together besides the kids mm-hmm. that's a very good thing which keeps you together and if like i said that it took a long time for us to get to a point mm-hmm. where we agreed on something mm-hmm. and we had disagreements and then slowly and slowly you learn to like which disagreement is worth spending your time on mm-hmm. and which disagreement doesn't matter and just let it go Dina I want to know if you know of any compromises he did for you I'm sure he did 50 million because first of all I'm a loud person he's a soft spoken person <laughs> he has been listening to me for 42 years probably the <laughs> biggest compromise <laughs> 
and he has been putting up with me so but otherwise the thing is that to tell you the truth we are quite different personalities uh he is a very uh, what should i say he doesn't get mad i get mad but he keeps it in himself and i come out with it mm. and that creates issues sometimes because he always says that i start all fights and i think i do start all fights because the thing is when you push something under the rug it doesn't go away you keep it in your head it doesn't go away it comes out some day in a worse form mm. my things are like this that if something is bothering me i come out with it i can't say that i don't keep any grudge or i don't feel but the thing is that we have learned to learn each other mm. learn from each other like how do we cope with things there are still things that he doesn't understand about me and there are still things about me he doesn't understand but that doesn't mean that that's the end of it right Shahjahan as you're listening to your mom right you're listening to Tina i wonder if when she's talking about her relationship with your dad as a kid do you see it through a different lens did you see it through a different lens growing up i mean it's definitely what i remember as far as the the differences between you and aga and also you know some of the issues pretty that's a pretty accurate representation so there's Uh I mean I'm still thinking about the the love notes from the beginning of this interview. So that's that's the thing that I'm going to be thinking about forever. The thing is that yeah. that was what happened. So yeah. I can't Yeah. No, like, no, but as far as um no, as far as the relationship that's that's it's it's pretty accurate then. It was accurate then. It's definitely mm-hmm. still accurate now, I think. Um yeah. And it's just sort of a quiet Yeah. poetic guy. Yes, <laughs> I know. Is there any particular thing that you take inspiration from from your parents relationship is there something that really resonates with you i guess i would have to say their compassion and their values their family values even through all the you know my person our personal whatever disagreements and stuff i think at the end of the day like the love compassion and home is always home no matter what happens so mm. i think like i can I, just jump yeah. in and say that when you were going through issues in your life yeah. i think we got over it because both of us discussed it with each other and said that he's our kid mm. he's going through tough times we need to help him mm. we need to be there for him no matter what mm. and that is i think what is the bonding that has to be in a family which keeps families together whether it's just between the husband and wife or it's between the kids and the husband I wanted to ask one question before we wrap up just for our listeners again who do not fully understand the concept of arranged marriage what are some of the benefits of having parents involved in the process of finding a partner or a spouse I think it it depends on like how much trust you have on your in your parents mm. and how much your parents understand what they are doing and i think there's a lot of benefit because they look for things which are more deeper than what we look for we just look for looks or something else like no mm-hmm. oh, somebody's nice looking there but they look for other things which will be helpful in the later life tina this was so good you're always welcome to come back and have another episode with us thank you very much i enjoyed it thoroughly and thank you for having me 
Thank you so much, Amma. You're welcome. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Today's episode was written by Anushka Rai and Yudi Liu, edited by Bronte Cook and produced by Kylie C. Roberts and me, Sadia Khan, with help from Asit Bhatt from Refilion Media. Special thanks to our development producer, Eliza Kazmi. Until next time, when we have another incredible story, take care. Oh.